0: to the official screenwriting podcast. I'm Adam Levenberg. This week I'll be talking about wish fulfillment in The Fault in Our Stars because I know there's a lot of new listeners. You don't have to see the movies that I'm talking about and please be sure to listen to the episodes even if it's not a movie you ever intend on seeing. I try to discuss these things in a way that anybody will be able to understand and I always try to provide context because, hey, we're not going to see everything. A reminder that I am going to be speaking on July 26th, I believe at 1 p.m., to the Scriptwriters Network. I'm doing an event talking about my book, The Starter Screenplay, and talking about some of the things that I disagree with in the book, as well as how to work on concepts that actually function that you can sell to Hollywood and break in with. And I like talking to the Script Writers Network because it's a lot of young people. It's screenwriters who have moved to Los Angeles and are trying to break into the business a lot of the time. And I like being helpful to those people. I like talking to those people, and if you're in LA, you can come see me speak. Go to scriptwritersnetwork.com for details. It's free if you are a member and they put on amazing events with people a fuck of a lot more impressive than I am. So, you know, that's great. But you know, if you can't afford to go to an event like that and you see that I'm speaking, you can always get in touch with me directly. I want anybody who's in the area. Again, if you say, Hey, I can't afford it, if you tell me that you can't afford my book, but you really want it, I'll email it to you for free. I mean, I'll email I'll email you a PDF, but I'll send you the book. If you want to hire me, but you can't afford my consulting, I would probably work something out with you. You know, I really want to be able to help as many people as possible. That's why I do this podcast. So again, if you want to go to that Scriptwriters Network event, scriptwritersnetwork.com, I believe, or .net. And if you can't afford that ticket price, uh, just email me directly and we'll see what we can do. I also wanted to talk a little bit about families of movies. I will be talking about this at the Scriptwriter Network event, but I want to share this with the audience again because my trainer, Jeremiah had recently watched Daylight, which is the 1996 Sylvester Stallone film, I think. And he was likening it to the film Gravity because it's a survival story set on a really tight timeline where we just jump from event to event with characters coming up with novel ways and interesting, clever ways to solve problems in order to move on to the next challenge. And, you know, there are similarities between Daylight and Gravity. But as I told Jeremiah... If you want to be able to write a movie like Daylight, yeah, you can learn some stuff from Gravity, but ultimately you're going to have to understand that Daylight is a spin-off. It It is a descendant of films like The Poseidon Adventure and The Towering Inferno, which were both films from the early 1970s. The Poseidon Adventure is incidentally one of my favorite movies of all time and one of Gene Hackman's first great performances. It's what really made him a superstar. And the difference between Daylight and Gravity or The Poseidon Adventure and Gravity is that these films usually have large ensembles because you are killing off a lot of characters along the way. And it's really important that you understand what families movies belong to. And Daylight is, hey, we're trying to do The Poseidon Adventure but in a tunnel. Or we're trying to do The Towering Inferno but in a tunnel. And you'll see that the films function exactly the same way. You might even find that the body count is very similar. You know, if you were trying to write a movie like Daylight, I might say, figure out how many characters we start off with. And you might even see that there's a similar number of characters that die at similar intervals within the film. Speaking of the timeline, it's incredibly important that you're able to form and figure out, well, this is the type of movie I'm trying to write. And look at how you break those down before you jump into writing your own script. Um, again, if you're Shane Black and you're able to sell a script to 23 years old, then maybe you don't need to do that work. But, but the reality is that most working screenwriters are not instantaneously successful. They have to work at it for a really long time And, you know, I try to give you some information on this podcast that helps you hack through some of that uh, so that you can be working on a project that actually functions properly. Speaking of functioning properly, if you go to officialscreenwriting.com, which I'm going to be revamping the site a little bit soon, I think, but I've actually written two articles. One of them is on the movie Tammy and why it doesn't work, because it doesn't, but the, the film itself does not function properly for a couple of reasons. I'm going to talk about one of them, but I wrote an entire article about it, and I also also had the privilege to see white hunter black heart which was one of the last films that Clint Eastwood did while his career was in a tailspin at the end of the 1980s, right before Unforgiven, right before his big comeback. Things were not looking good for Clint at the end of the 80s, and he puts on a performance in White Hunter Blackheart that's easily the most broad of anything you've ever seen him do, and it absolutely works. He's playing John Huston, who, by the way, is a legendary director, Angelica Huston's father. He directed The African Queen and White Hunter Blackheart is a somewhat fictionalized version of what went on with uh, this legendary director going to Africa and being far more obsessed with killing an elephant than giving a shit about the movie that he was actually working on. So Clint Eastwood's performance is so broad in this film that I actually liken it to Tom Cruise in Interview with the Vampire, where he's putting on such a performance, and part of the interesting thing about it is that he often plays what we could call to simplify things, different versions of himself or different versions of his star persona. And in Interview with the Vampire, he leaves that all behind. He speaks differently. He costumes himself. Clint Eastwood doesn't do that. He's always Clint Eastwood. But even the way that he's dressed is a little bit more flamboyant than the way that you'd usually see Clint Eastwood. But even if you don't see the movie, you can definitely read the article I wrote about it, because when I watch movies like that, stuff runs through my head. Why isn't this working perfectly? And remember, I only start asking myself Myself that stuff if it's not working. I don't turn on the criticism. If the film is moving along as it should. But if I watch a scene and it's been going on for six minutes and it's not over, I might say, what the fuck is the point of this? Or why are they spending so much time on this? Or what have we learned about these characters 30 minutes into the movie that's going to allow us to carry it through? Now, speaking of Tammy real quickly, the problem with it and the reason it doesn't function is because you can't have a road trip movie where the characters do not have a clear cut goal, even in a comedy. So let's talk about some comedy road trips. You have National Lampoon's Vacation. They want to go to Wally World. That's their goal. We want to go to this amusement park, and that's where we're going, and we are motivated to get there. The movie Road Trip, the character accidentally sends a sex tape with a random girl to his girlfriend. And the road trip is, hey, we got to get to that tape before it's delivered to her mailbox. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Steve Martin wants to make it home for Thanksgiving. So, in these road trip movies, we have goals. Unfortunately, in Tammy, there is no goal. We start off really strong. We explode her life in the first couple of scenes where she hits a deer on her way to work. That's literally the first thing that happens in the movie. Walks into work bloodied and dirty from this car accident. She's fired on the spot, goes home early, finds that her husband is having dinner with his mistress, and as she said, you never once cooked me dinner, Uh, she packs a bag, walks a couple of steps down the block to her mom's house, and once inside her mom's house, her grandmother, played by Susan Sarandon, somewhat improbably, says, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Tammy says, I need to get out of this town, and they make an agreement where Susan Sarandon will finance their trip and provide the car if Tammy will take her. Uh, Susan Sarandon is playing an aging alcoholic who, with with bad eyesight, so she needs Tammy to drive. But the the problem is that in this movie, Tammy has no goal. She's not going anywhere, and the only goal that we really have for these characters is that Susan Sarandon talks about a desire to go to Niagara Falls. Because when she was a child, her father had promised her a trip, and her father died right before he could take her. So this is unfinished business for Susan Sarandon, who is not our hero. She's not the center of the movie. And the problem is that Tammy really doesn't have any goal. And because the, Tammy doesn't have a goal, and because we don't really feel this need to get to Niagara Falls for any specific reason, or under any sort of time deadline, the result of that is a lot of wandering around and a lot of wandering around through ugly places. I talk about this a little bit in my article, that even a movie like even in a movie like Bridesmaids there's a lot of glamour in there there's the beautiful dress shop that they end up vomiting all over there's the elegant parties that are part of the run up to this wedding you know what we get in Tammy is a honky tonk bar we get we get a lake it's just not it's not particularly glamorous and i think that's something that might have disappointed M- melissa mccarthy's core audience so let's move on to the fault in our stars I'm struck at how much that this is a companion piece to Stuck in Love, which was Josh Boone's first feature. It's playing on Netflix, and, you know, it's a film, if you've been listening for a long time, you know that I've recommended it. I recommended it before this movie blew up. And I want you to watch Stuck in Love because it is representative of what studios look for. You know, it's interesting that audiences didn't give a shit about that movie. I think it sold $60,000 worth of tickets. But that did not stop the Fox executives from being smart enough to see the film and to say, yes, we want this guy to direct what could be one of the biggest young adult properties of the last, you know, decade. And Josh got a huge movie based off of how great Stuck in Love functioned. A lot of the same crew that worked on Stuck in Love also worked on The Fault in Our Stars, and visually they're quite similar. I believe it was the same cinematographer, same musicians, contributed songs to the soundtrack. And it has a lot of the same tone, that bittersweet, funny, but incredibly human approach to drama. And there's a light touch to it that I think is necessary for a film like The Fault in Our Stars to work because audiences go to movies in order to not only feel things, but also to be validated in some ways and to feel good, even if the movie is also going to make them feel bad. So let's talk a little bit about why this movie is representative of wish fulfillment. So for those of you who haven't seen The Fault in Our Stars, Shailene Woodley plays Hazel, a young girl who had cancer and is now on a miracle drug that has basically left her somewhat cancer-free, but she's still dying. So I'll get into that in a minute. She's Dealing with death, eventually, the people around her know that she's going to die, but it could. She could last weeks. She could last months. She could last years. It's an open-ended death, which actually creates a lot of complications in her life and for those around her. At a cancer teenager's support group, she meets Gus, played by Ansel Elgort. Gus is actually a combination of Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic and early Tom Cruise, say maybe in Top Gun, where you have a character who's cocky, who's adventurous, who has a mischievous smile and treats the world and life as if it's an adventure. He also has lost his leg to cancer, but when we meet him, he is cancer-free. And, you know, that's his one weakness where he feels a little bit of self-consciousness about his mechanical leg. So, you know, he has fun with life. The thing that Gus projects is effortless cool. He's cool and he's fun and he has a good heart. And if you're a guy, you say, gosh, I wish I could be that. I wish I could be that fun. And if you're a woman, you might say, wow, I want to be with a guy like that. That's the fantasy that The Fault in Our Stars projects. Because Hazel is also really cool. She's pretty. She is smart. She reads books and can talk about them like an adult. She's the center of her world. There's some wish fulfillment in that, where she's actually an only child. There's a dramatic reason for that, which is that we deal a little bit with her worries about her parents who are completely wrapped up in her life and her survival and she worries about what's going to happen to them when she's gone because they don't have any other kids and everything and all of their energies and effort are wrapped up in her and what are they going to turn to once she no longer is there but you know there's some wish fulfillment in that also that i'm the center of the world i'm the attention and the focus of my parents and then she plays a little bit hard to get with gus and this great Incredibly handsome guy then starts wooing her. He starts going after her. He starts trying to get past her defenses because, as she says to him at one point, you know, I'm a grenade. I'm going to blow up. I'm going to die. And I'm going to blow up the lives of all the people that are around me who care about me. And I have a responsibility to minimize that damage by not bringing more people into my life and not entering the hearts of any more people than I am already am in. And he fights past that. And that's what makes this an incredible love story, which is that she plays hard to get and he fights hard for her. You know, there's a lot of wish fulfillment in that. We all wish that... You know, somebody would fight really hard for our affections and and would be willing to look all of our faults, no matter how problematic they are, in this case, that she might not be alive for very long. Third, Gus and Hazel speak like incredibly intelligent adults. Now, you may remember that in the movie Scream, the way that Kevin Williamson characterizes dialogue is that... He wanted these teenagers not only to speak like adults, but also to be very fast on their toes or verbally fast. Because he talked about, you know, when somebody says something kind of rude to you or somebody comes at you with some aggression, that you often play that episode over and over in your head. And later that night, you smack yourself on the head and think of what the perfect retort would have been. And what Kevin Williamson did, he gave these characters instantaneous retorts. So in Fault in Our Stars, not only do they get to speak about adult issues and get to live adult issues, remember the core audience for this film is teenagers. Why would teenagers desire to perhaps be in a situation of life and death? It's because it's dramatic. Now, it's really interesting. Right before I went to see the film, I was talking with a friend and she said, I can't do that to myself. I, can't, I don't know why anybody would want to go see that movie. I don't understand it. And what I explained to her was that most likely she's dealt with life and death. She knows how ugly and heart-wrenching it can be. She doesn't need to see this movie to replay that energy in her head. But for teenagers who have not experienced a lot, there is a desire to live vicariously through characters who are dealing with really big things and living emotions to the fullest that most teenagers really don't get to do that often. And, you know, often jokingly, if you know anybody with teenagers or have any of your own, you know that they will often treat things that are incredibly minimal and infuse incredible importance into them because they really don't have any sense of proportion. So a film like this really takes them to the edge and allows them to play allows them to play with the or see others playing with these really big issues in an incredibly safe way. And I liken it to the same reason that people want to go see horror movies. It's to say, could I handle this? It's a test that our, we're putting our own psyche through and our own ego through. Um, so that's where the value in a life and death story like this can come in and how it can be representative of wish fulfillment in the exact same way that many of us enjoy horror films because when we watch a horror movie we say could i handle this could i act in that situation would i have the balls in order to step up and make the tough decision in order to survive another thing that hazel and gus get to do is act like adults they get to fall in love they get hotel rooms in amsterdam on their trip they have sex and so they've now traveled to this exotic place and then they get to play dress up where they go to a fancy restaurant he's wearing a suit and tie she's wearing an exp- Expensive dress. They get to order champagne. They also get to live like adults and experience some of the good things about being adults. Also, they get to meet their idol. You know, idol worship is really big among teenagers because teenagers are trying to imagine what kind of adulthood they would like, and they can look at people, whether it be sports figures, celebrities, musicians, authors in the case of The Fault in Our Stars. Um, and say, that's what I want to be. I look up to this person. I think that this person has it figured out. And of course, as we get older, that idol worship kind of falls away because we understand that these people that we might have looked up to as teenagers are also people also with their own faults, and possibly we would have no interest in switching places with them, which is something that these characters sort of get to experience because they see once they arrive in Amsterdam that the person that they're so desperate to meet is really in a bad place himself. So in my book, The Starter Screenplay, I have a chapter about indulging fantasy and sensation where I talk about fantasies coming in many forms. It's not all about the mystical elements that we see in Game of Thrones or in Lord of the Rings. Sometimes the fantasy is to break out of a suburban straitjacket, which is what American Beauty is about, to go on a swashbuckling adventure, Indiana Jones, or to become a superhero like an Iron Man. Um, you can also have dark fantasies. And my favorite example is fatal attraction. Cause you might say, well, why would this hero who's being terrorized by a one night stand? Why would this hero wish for that? And the reason is because it fulfills the ego because it says that he's that damn good in bed. And he's that much of a catch that this woman would throw her entire life away to terrorize him because he had that much of an impact on her. That's all for this week. Again, you can go to the Scriptwriters Network to find out about my event on July 26th. You can go to Amazon to check out the Starter Screenplay. I have those two new articles, one about Tammy, the other about White Hunter Black Heart, up at officialscreenwriting.com, where you can sign up for my mailing list or hire me to do a concept consultation, or to provide notes and feedback on your screenplay. Remember, when I do a consultation with clients, I read your script. I put notes in the margins. I then do an entire set of notes, and then we talk on the phone. I email you all that stuff. We talk on the phone for as many hours as we need to to go through the entire script. It sometimes is 90 minutes, sometimes it's three hours, sometimes it's five hours. However long it takes is included in the price. I'm Adam Livenberg. Thanks for listening.